0: You know, there are things that you can make with additive manufacturing you can't make any other way. So it's really hard to understand where that's going to go and how it's going to be used.
1: You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts.
2: Hello, welcome to War College. I am your host, Matthew Galt. We are living on the precipice of a manufacturing revolution. 3D printing is more than just a hobby your weird rich friend used to make guns. It's the dawn of a new process of prototype and creation. Additive manufacturing, if you believe the hype, will make it easier to make everything, including weapons of mass destruction. But how real is that threat, and how close are we to making chemical weapons at home for fun and profit? Here to help us answer that question is Grant Christopher. Grant is a senior researcher at Verdict, a London-based think tank that works to strengthen verification of international agreements. He was also part of the research team at CERN that discovered the Higgs boson, and he's the co-author of a research paper titled WMD Capabilities Enabled by Additive Manufacturing. Grant, thank you so much for being here.
0: Thank you. An absolute pleasure.
2: All right, so let's do some basic definition stuff up at the top. What is exactly is additive manufacturing like what do we mean when we say that yeah it's
0: it's really an umbrella term it means quite a lot of things um so picture uh, two things picture michelangelo's david and then picture um a model you made of legos when you were a kid um so additive manufacturing is like the legos you take some smaller things and you build up a bigger thing from them and in additive manufacturing, you, you glue them together. You'd use a laser to melt the bricks together, basically. Um, the, the David is more an idea of conventional manufacturing, subtractive manufacturing, where you have a block of marble and you reveal the structure of the David from inside it with some, some skill. Um, or in, in, in modern manufacturing, you could do it with a machine tool. So additive, you build up from smaller things. Uh, conventional, you you take larger things and and, and shave off pieces.
2: And when we say 3D printing, is there can you use that interchangeably with additive manufacturing? Or is there any kind of distinct difference between these two?
0: I tend to use them interchangeably. Um, there may be some uh, you know, edge definitions uh, where people stickle with, but I don't really see an issue with uh, one or the other. All
2: right. Great. Uh, one more definitional question up here at the top, um, which I think is kind of a, a theme or a broad framework for how we can kind of look at this issue. Um, and that's wicked problem. Um, can you explain to the audience what we mean when we talk about a wicked problem and how it applies to specifically additive manufacturing?
0: Yes. I, I mean, I would think of wicked problems more in, uh, you, you combine several forces and, and, uh, or, or several big concepts and how they relate and you, you change factors in one and it really doesn't, uh, it's hard to understand how, how that will affect the big picture. Um, so, nuclear disarmament is is a wicked problem for instance because of the the technical side of um nuclear disarmament the political side uh, and then the the environmental factors around it so the politics may be hard at any time but the but the the, the background politics might change significantly from one year to the other um in additive manufacturing well it's The technical it's technically very difficult, depending on the process you're talking about, what you might picture before you started this podcast of being additive manufacturing. So uh, a a garage based plastic printer um, is very different to actually solving an engineering problem using a three quarters of a million dollar metal printer. Um, The getting those things to work and to print as you want them is extremely complicated. Then getting that onto a, let's say, a military system is also extremely difficult or or a civilian nuclear reactor. Those things need to be uh, checked very carefully that they're not going to break. Um, They need to be as reliable as a part manufactured any other way. Um, So that's kind of the wicked side. And then the, the politics angle um you know the the underlying factors i i don't know um those those we haven't really gotten a good example of yet,
2: right because all of this stuff is still so new I mean the Pentagon just announced that they were kind of going to be using it uh officially just a few months ago, right This is not something that's widespread, not widely adopted everyone's still kind of we're still kind of in the hype figuring things out phase of additive manufacturing correct
0: yeah it, and it, it it goes into these uh categories of emerging technologies um so what are the other technologies kind of thrown in this mix anything with it and when you're talking about um researching um it, emerging technologies from the military sense uh, anything cyber anything ai uh, blockchain you know all of them um Additive manufacturing is a little different. It's still very much emerging, but you you are seeing applications. So on the emerging side, you would say technology is emerging where um, it's still changing over time and you haven't seen the most important application of it yet. Um, That's uh, kind of like the the hand-wavy definition, I think. It it can be quite useful in in a conversation to define it. Um so with that right you could think of um uh, the internet itself um so when i was in college uh the internet didn't have a lot to do with youtube but i think it would be almost absurd to think about the internet without its its video component today and and social media component and those didn't really exist so um the internet was a continuously changing technology um but like we're in like a, a certain period right now where a, a lot of important uses on social media and um, video messaging and people being up to up, upload video content for additive manufacturing. Um, we are in a, a phase where there is a significant active metal manufacturing industry. Um, there is a lot of interest in trying to manufacture in, in, in different ways. So using, uh, one of the additive manufacturing techniques that the, the hobby one, the, the, the plastics hobby one to make things like explosives and magnets and just print any material that you can, you can melt and extrude. Um, so we don't really know where any of this is going. Um, and there isn't, yeah, an industry leader, right? There isn't an industry leader that is gobbling up all the smaller companies, um, our Apple, Microsoft, or, um, you know, pick, pick your industry. Um, there's still quite a competitive marketplace. No one's technology has proven to be a lot better than everyone else's yet. Um, so that I think that's another important uh, factor in the emerging technology stakes.
2: So, I want to point out that um, again I, I, I don't know I think some of the stories that filter down to most people about additive manufacturing three d printing are you know people using them to make guns um, or look at this cool sculpture I made with three d printing but you do have big companies with big money who are figuring out some interesting applications I, the 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 two that really stick out to me are Raytheon who can produce something like 80% of one of their missiles using 3D printing. Um, And the Los Alamos National Laboratory can manufacture high explosives with this tech, correct?
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I think these are absolutely absolutely fascinating, right? So the the Raytheon example, so they're a company out in California. um, They're trying to print most of the parts for a missile. So this is not, you know ill grey hot you know press a button print a missile this is printing components separately and then assembling them um, but the the most important question about this like is it economically viable or is it a prototype is it a, a you know not quite a publicity stunt but is it a, a proof of concept or is it really um a revolution in uh manufacturing missiles and, and something that's going to be economically competitive. Um if that's the case, then that is a really big deal. Um, from the work I've done, uh I wasn't necessarily looking at the economics, but I was looking at you know what is possible. Um it's additive manufacturing is hard and slow. Um so it, it's often spoke of as um you're able to rapidly prototype so that means you can iterate on designs quickly that doesn't mean the process of printing itself is quick Uh printing like a 20 centimeter metal part in one of these uh, expensive metal printers takes the best part of a week and unless uh, you know there have been advances on making this process more reliable but chances are that your part might have broken while it was printing um, th- these parts need to go through a very extensive quality control process and additive manufacturing is hard and still um, it's hard to print something on the same machine twice. Uh, this was something that I, uh, you know, I learned in speaking to practitioners a couple of years ago and I think still is largely true. Um this will not be true forever, right right? If you are interested in this industry, this is one of the big problems you want to figure out how to make this more reliable uh in general, whether you're printing missiles, guns, or anything else on the gun side, so one of the first guns printed the was plastic, and there have been some other pioneering um folks out there that have tried to design metal guns um I wouldn't recommend um Trying to use or fire these, um, for the same reasons I noted above, unless you've got, um, a, a cat scanner that's willing to, that, that's capable of internally verifying that your, uh, gun won't split apart and, uh, seriously harm you the first time you try and use it. That being said, it, 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 it has been a major concern, um, for security. And I mean, it, it is one of the, the things that consistently gets uh, coverage and gets uh, spoken about in when discussing additive manufacturing. Um, I find it quite curious uh, that it, it's a subject of uh, conversation in the United States, but for for Europe at least, um, where there are you know much lower rates of gun ownership and uh, mm-hmm. much t- tighter controls on on who can own weapons, it maybe is more of a concern.
2: Why? Uh, what is it about the machines that makes it hard to print the same thing twice? Um, the, the underlying physics of
0: rapidly melting and cooling, uh, a uh, 16, uh, micrometer metal powder, um, and then layering surface by surface over and over again, it, it's extremely complicated. So much so that the U S Nas- national laboratories have invested significant resources in trying to understand the process. Uh, they have been using the high speed cameras, um, that you know, have been uh, used for nuclear weapons explosives testing, like that level of uh, great equipment to understand the very quick, the very rapid heating cooling processes that, that go on when you, when you put a laser on some powder and it, it melts um, and then uh, solidifies again. Um, it's very easy to form cracks. It's very easy to be warped. Um, it's very hard to get definition around corners and overhangs. Um, it's very difficult to understand the best way to print something. So, uh, think about uh, going back to constructing something with, with Lego. You've got one laser and you're, you're making a, I don't know, let's say a picture of a, a Lego spaceship or something like that. That laser has to scan over that. Uh, each layer of powder of each point that you want to stick together it's got to melt the entire thing um between one layer of powder and another you've got say 60 100 micrometers um so you're doing that over and over and over again um that is that is complicated and it's not obvious that all your metal powder is going to going to glue itself together they're going to be Maybe holes in the middle if you don't control the process properly. Um, So when you put a lot of stress on it, i.e. try and do some ballistics, the whole thing might just break apart.
2: We're going to pause for a break real here. We are on with Grant Christopher talking about additive manufacturing or 3D printing and uh, its possible use in creating weapons of mass destruction, which honestly at this point sounds like a pipe dream.
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits
0: all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare.
2: All right, War college listeners we are back on with Grant Christopher talking about uh, weapons of mass destruction and how they the creation of such may be aided by 3D printing. Um, Sir, so just before we we, we, we broke it said you've, you've been making it sound like um, there's nothing to be worried about. everything's going to be fine. this technology is years away from producing anything of value, let alone you know a nuke or a sarin gas factory.
0: I think it's a little bit more complicated. Um, so if we look at the, the most advanced applications of 3D printing, as it goes into aerospace, uh, the military, uh, and any other high-end users, right? We did talk about someone is trying to print missiles. So don't discount that. If if this couldn't be done, then that company wouldn't still be uh, operating, right? Secondly. Um, GE have a factory in Alabama. Um, they have certified aircraft parts. They have jet engine nozzles. They've printed tens of thousands of these at this factory. So this is something that you can do at some scale if, if you know the secret. Um, you know, I haven't been allowed to roam around their IP and exactly figure out how they solve this problem. Um, but there are solutions to be. To, to be had here. I do know that um, that you know they stole some um, some tips from from dentistry. Um, so they, t- they took some advances that had been done in in printing of particular metals for uh, medicine and dentistry, and you kind of use those adaptations to again get get a march, get a a couple year head start on on other people trying to develop, develop new materials. Um, so. This may not be here right now, but it, it may be coming. Um the other side of things is got to be we've got to be really clear. Um to make nuclear weapons you have to have fissile material. Um you may be able to work with fissile material material in printers, you'd have to think carefully about criticality, but you can't manufacture it in the printer. You've got you've got to manufacture it the usual way. You've got to use enrichment or reprocessed plutonium coming out of a reactor and you can't easily 3d print those things that pro- that probably isn't possible um so the impact is going to be some other different ways so when it comes to weapons of mass-, mass destruction how do we get them um so nuclear weapons you need to have uranium you need to do some chemical processes to it and then you need to enrich it the way that we currently control that process um, so we try and keep tabs on which states are doing it. The IAEA inspects them, and we also have export controls. Um, so they're not necessarily to completely halt the spread of all the material and equipment and metals and machine tools you need to carry out these processes, um, but they're they're an inherent part of uh, a regime to to monitor. And make it difficult for people to do this. Additive manufacturing could undermine and, and, and get around things. So, um, okay, you can't get hold of something the normal way. Maybe you try 3D printing it instead. Um, so countries like Iran, North Korea, maybe they're, they're looking at advances in the West and seeing how this go. We don't have a lot of evidence for that. Um, but we, we wouldn't necessarily expect to see much evidence for it. They're going to be, you know, keeping their cards quite close to their chest in this respect. Um, but nearly every country in the world is is looking at how to use this for their military. They're looking at um, civilian uh, applications, civilian nuclear applications. Um, they're going to be looking at um, manufacturing weapons, manufacturing uh, delivery systems. So that's just on the nuclear side. On the chemical and bio side, um, there are other emerging technologies, um, that make 3D printing, you know, a bit more of an interesting place. So it's the, it's the gene assembly technologies and, and, uh, your chemical printing technologies that are quite interesting that, um, make additive manufacturing more of a, more of a player um so what i mean by that so you've got to you've got to have the the virus or the the thing you're going to use as a bioweapon you've got to you've got to have the chemical but to make your chemical chemistry lab to make your bio lab um you need to work with special materials um you know no one's trying to print with these as far as my studies have shown but the material, the special materials you need to assemble these laboratories are being worked with. Moreover, if I'm, like, saying a university researcher in a in a lab, um, I'm going to have had all kinds of, uh, you know, tools and and custom things I'm going to build in my lab. Every one of these university labs is going to have a 3D printer or two um, to make custom tools. So there's going to be a lot of proliferation of expertise on how to work with these things. Um, that's just on kind of the, the lab researcher level. Um, so I, I mentioned a little before about the companies that are working on 3D printing, just like any new area. Um, think of like the the early part of the web, like companies are popping in and out of existence like nobody's business. So there's plenty of expertise floating around, um, you know, that maybe, uh, that can be funneled off for perhaps nefarious purposes. This has, um, been an off-studied thing in, in, proliferation analyses of, you know, where do people go that were involved with weapons programs? It's like, well, where do people go that were involved with advanced machine tooling applications that, that have floating expertise in the world? Um, and a third point or a fourth point, I'm not sure which one I'm on. Um, if you go online and you're like, OK, I want to I want to get a 3D printed like metal cap to give to my kid or something. Um, these machine shops are all around the world and you can send a design and they'll print it for you and send it to you. Um, so I would want those to be monitored and looked at very carefully that they know exactly what they're printing and who their customers are. Um, cause they're not all, um, in Western Europe and the United States. I think those are the kind of main points, like really underlining that unlike quite a lot of advanced technologies, key developments are not happening and not restricted to, um, the, the West. So uh, Europe, the United States, North America, and, uh, East Asian allies, there are key developments in China, key developments in Russia, and key developments elsewhere. Um, the U.S. and Europe and Germany in particular are certainly leaders in this technology, but there are lots of interesting areas to be explored. And, uh, the, uh, Russian national atomic company Rosatom has and is developing 3D printers. China is leading in quite a few areas uh, they've developed um, uh, titanium parts for their aircraft using three d printers um, so this is this is happening and this is happening globally and it's not so easy to keep tabs on on how things are going to be developed, and things aren't necessarily going to be developed in a way that uh, we understand kind of based on uh, on our experiences with the technology
2: it's completely changing the supply chain, right? Which is uh, the supply chain, I think, is one of these really boring, unfortunately, topics that's actually very important um, because kind of as you've alluded to, part of the way the international community keeps tabs on all this stuff is by monitoring the supply chain, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so that I, th- I think that's the big story of additive manufacturing is that it hides the supply chain from the international community.
0: It certainly could. Um, In terms of, you know, there are a lot of the big manufacturers of the machine tools themselves, of the printers, they're still in uh, uh, Europe and North America mostly. Um, But you can have, you can manufacture locally things that you wouldn't necessarily be able to manufacture locally before. Exactly. Exactly.
2: What do you think is the timeline on this? Do you have any sense of how, like, how worried we should be, and like when things will get, you know, when things will get worse from a proliferation standpoint? Do you have any idea, or is it all just guesswork right now?
0: Um, so I've been looking at this for about four years, and I've seen uh, real, wide, eye-opening changes in that time. Um, things do move pretty fast um, so for example um, you can print f1 now uh, that's uh, quite an interesting material from a uh, nuclear pro- proliferation point of view um, it's uh, resistant to uranium hexafluoride so that's the normally the chemical form of uranium you use for enrichment um, you know not inv- it wasn't invented for that purpose it was uh, invented by a company that makes a lot of Teflon and uh, they just thought we're going to, we're going to invent this new printing technique. Um, so new printing techniques and new materials are being invented all the time. Uh, and I see applications and, and relevant applications uh, that surprise me. Um, what is the national security community doing? well, We're not behind, but if there was an urgent requirement to act, it would probably be at the level of export controls and monitoring. Um, but I, I mean, I don't think we've missed, I don't think we've missed the boat. I don't think we're, we're in, in trouble. Um, but yeah, then again, on this, on this chem bio side, I have a lot of, uh, Uncertainties there about how uh, 3d printing is going to help these kind of uh, chemistry in the basement guys um, so that that definitely is a a not very well understood issue
2: do you think the threat is greater from state actors or you know non state actors these chemistry in the basement guys, or do you think they're just different kinds of threats so if we
0: think about Isis we talk of them like a non-state actor, but they were essentially, they're a bit more like a state actor, right? They, they controlled territory. They, they had, um, scientists working for them and, and, and they were working on, uh, working with chemical weapons. Um, for small groups of people, I mean, I think that the critical technology is going to be, um, the the chemical printing and, and the bioprinting type of technologies, uh, which is, you know, they're, they're very important, but they haven't necessarily been my area of uh, focus. I'm, I'm a, a physicist by training, not a biologist and a chemist. So coupling those together, you have some uncertainty, right? You've got two technologies developing at the same time. Um, so it's kind of hard to figure out where they're going to land. Um, so pulling pulling all the way back to the beginning with AI, AI is going to be used very heavily in 3D printing, not just to improve the reliability, but for designing of components. And this may allow, um, you know, deployment in in weapon systems from Non-state actors this may, may really level the playing field in terms of design, uh, in a way that we, we didn't really understand. And in my, my first couple rounds of looking at this, I, I, I really missed this fact. And it, it took a colleague to point out, um, this concept of generative design, which will be used in all design areas will be particularly, um, interesting for additive manufacturing because additive manufacturing just opens up a completely new design space. You know, there are things that you can make with additive manufacturing you can't make any other way. So it's really hard to understand where that's going to go and how it's going to be used. Um, so that's, I mean, from an analyst, it's an interesting problem from a security point of view. Uh, you
2: certainly would want answers to these questions. All right, let's back up just a minute. What, um, what are the things that can be manufactured this way that can't be manufactured any other way? Um, right. So you can,
0: you can make things with very complicated internal geometries. Um, so what, what you would do the normal way is you make 30 different pieces and you stick them all together. Additive manufacturing, you, you do it all in one go. Uh, so complex internal cooling systems, things like that. Um, you can make new parts that are just lighter. So you use some algorithm to tell you, okay, here are all the places in your part that you didn't actually need. Like the the physics and engineering algorithms, algorithms tell you that these are superfluous. So you, you cut all of them out. Um, unfortunately we can't share pictures. This is a podcast, but, um, you end up with kind of weird, uh, HR Geiger type looking things, uh, like very strange, almost organic looking designs, uh, because you've just designed something really differently. Um, so that's, you know, taking one material. The other new things are because of this, what's so the, the metal printing with rapid heat and cooling, a lot of the thought so far has been kind of going against you're trying to reproduce a material you already know how to use with a 3d printer um so you're kind of pushing against the technology so rather than do that you could kind of work with the technology and and use that rapid heating cooling of your laser to be advantageous um you could use it to blend different materials together so um it becomes very easy to have a material that slowly changes composition as you go over the full course of the material. so I, I don't know thinking of my I'm sitting right in front of my my uh, computer here. So you think of like the the part of the computer right at the top of the keypad being titanium, and at the bottom it's it's uh, made of a di- completely different metal, and in between you've got like a little bit of both, so you you're blending them together. Additive manufacturing allows that kind of material, a functionally graded material. Um, so there are there are just new types of things that can be made, and how those are
2: going to be applied, I do not know. It sounds like a new forge. Um, but anyway, uh, tell me what generative design is and why AI is an important factor in it.
0: Uh yeah. So I'm quite new to generative design. Um so a colleague on one of my PIPA friends uh really highlighted this. Um so you you let the computer design the part for you. You kinda tell it you know, roughly what you want, and it solves all the physics and engineering. Um and it can give you something that didn't necessarily. You, you're surprised how it looks. You're surprised how it is, but it, it does the job as it was asked. Um, so a simple thing like a a, a bracket, um, you could generate it, design it. That's that's quite easy. So you have a bracket that holds holds two corners of some, something together. It attaches two pieces together. Fine. Um, what about if you have a more complex problem? As we as we master this technology. Um, like a, a a component of a weapon, uh, uh, rocket fuel nozzles, uh, any kind of uh, weapons part. Um, you know, we could come back to the gun problem. In a, in a world where we have more reliable three D printing, in a world where the technology is more accessible, uh, you can you know maybe mail order it easier. Um, where everyone has access to the software on the excuse me, their home computer, yeah, that's that's uh, suddenly a, a bigger problem. And, and you know, the, the time frame question you asked me is is difficult. Um, but I think it, it depends on, you know, we can track how AI develops and how generative design develops kind of independently of additive manufacturing. But this is a, a 10 years kind of thing, 5, 10 years kind of thing. Um, and Ten years isn't that long ago. Um, uh, ten years was was two thousand nine, and uh, you know, we that's like the first year of the Obama presidency or something. So it really isn't that long.
2: The other thing that that strikes me about all this is that we tend to be when dealing with new technologies and new threats reactionary, right? Yeah. So do you think that it's going to take something bad happening before we? I mean, even figure out how to handle it or, or, or even really know what we're looking for.
0: Yeah. I, I think I, you know, how, how long does it, when do people actually kind of, uh, the English phrase is pull, pull, pull their finger out and actually deal with the problem? Like when, when do you get the political will to actually address something, um, a Sputnik moment or, um, you know, any other crisis you care to name? Um, so hopefully, I mean, I can convince you that like, I'm not the only person looking at this. I'm, I'm in the NGO community, so I have very little influence with government. Um, but I, you know, we, you know, we can publish good research and try and uh, make sure we keep tabs on the problem. Um, but yeah, it, it could be a real issue because I don't, I don't have access to all the proprietary information. I don't, um, I don't understand the problem completely, and probably can't. Um, and that, you know, this isn't my, this isn't my primary area of research anymore. Um, so it, it, it really could be something. And, and I, I also think that there are other emerging technologies that have really risen to the top of, um, that floated to the top of the pile in terms of people think they're much more threatening. So anything with the word cyber in it is, is like catnip to the national security community at the moment. Um, and artificial intelligence. Um, so we just need to make sure that we don't, um, neglect, you know, very, uh, um, important technologies like additive manufacturing that, uh, like you say, it's, it's about the supply chain. Um, that's where the big impact is going to be felt. Um, so looking like beyond WMD, there's going to be a significant impact in, uh, in, in militaries and how they, how they supply themselves and how they, um, keep inventories of, of spare parts and things like that. There's going to be, um, you know, possibly a, a quite big effect on military logistics from this kind of technology. Um, so there's, there will be, there will be big impacts.
2: Grant Christopher, thank you so much for coming on to War College and walking us through this, this complicated and emerging threat. Thank you
0: very much, and uh, apologies for being so technical, but it's a technical problem.
2: That's it for this week, War College listeners. Thank you for tuning in. War College is me, Matthew Galt, and Kevin Nodell, created by myself and Jason Fields. We will be running episodes throughout the rest of the holiday, but, you know, it's Christmas, it's downtime, everyone needs a break, probably going to hear some reruns in the near future. Uh, We are still working on new episodes, though, including that Metal Gear Solid episode, which I promise is really coming. If you like what we do, please like and subscribe on iTunes, wherever else fine pods are casted, leave a review, we do read them. And it does help other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter at War underscore College. I am at MJG Kevin is at KJK No Dell. We'll be back next week. Stay safe until then.
1: Hold up.